0: I get a lot of left-handed compliments. Man, if God can change you, anybody can be changed. I get that all the time. I say, well, you're right.
1: The Lifespring family of podcasts is brought to you in part by AMD Live. AMD Live brings digital entertainment to life. Lifespring number 135, the Lifespring Time Machine, part two. you doing? Having a good week? It's a busy one for me. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Well, welcome. This is Lifespring, and I'm Steve Webb, and I'm your host. Hey, last week, bring this down here, last week, you heard part one of my conversation with former mafia capo... Michael Francis. Well, this week I've got part two of that conversation. And because this part is a little over a half an hour long, we're just going to jump right in. But first, let me mention my email address, steve.lifespring at gmail.com. That's in case you want to write to me. And I really enjoy it when you send me emails. It's been a little bit quiet lately, so feel free. If you'll send me an email, I promise I'm going to answer you. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, steve.lifespring at gmail.com. Listener comment line. I love it when you send audio comments. 206-350-CALL. That's 206-350-2255. And let me uh, ask you to check out the AMD banner on the website at lifesprayingpodcast.com. AMD's got some really awesome free software. I want to point you especially to Orb. Uh, You don't need no stinking Apple TV with this very cool software. You stream all your digital content to your TV, with Orb from AMD Live. Check it out. And so, just to recap last week's episode, to refresh your memory, Michael told us, Michael Franzese, told us how his father, Sonny Franzese, had been a high-ranking member of the Colombo crime family in New York and how his imprisonment, imprisonment caused Michael to choose to drop out of Hofstra University to follow in his father's footsteps and join the life, as they call it and how he became one of uh, the most successful money generators for the mob since Al Capone. At one point, his Ill- illegal activities earned billions of dollars for his bosses, and he was paid millions of dollars per week. But as happy as his bosses were, law enforcement was just as interested in bringing Michael Francis down. They doggedly pursued every avenue to bring some kind of a conviction. Well, while this was going on, Michael met a girl on the set of a movie that he was producing in Miami. Cami Garcia would change his life. They even began to discuss marriage. But by then, the government had built a case that Michael figured would land him in prison. So let us rejoin the conversation right now.
0: I told Camille, I should listen, um, I'm going to have to do some time, maybe five years. Her response to that, because we had planned to get married, was, "I'd rather have you alive in prison than, you know, in that life on the streets or maybe dead." All right. Now, you know, she didn't know much about the life. She's from Anaheim, California. Mexican girl. She uh-huh. never, never came in contact with anybody like me. I mean, her her uh, exposure to that life was seeing the movie The Godfather. Sure. Was it?
1: Sure. So she's thinking of you, and Michael Corleone.
0: I uh, maybe. I guess. <laughs> you know. It's, and, uh, but you know, she, she had a lot of confidence in the fact that I would work it out. She trusted that, so right. um, I took the plea, negotiated that I would be able to do the time out in Terminal Island, California, out in LA. And my plan was this, I, do, I get a 10 year sentence. At that time, I was under the old law, so there was parole, they hadn't abolished parole yet. Okay. I figured if I stayed clean, I could do five on the 10. That was right. about what you did. I'd have five years on parole. And then they tacked on another five years probation after that. So for fifteen years, I figured I when you're on parole, you're not allowed to associate with anybody, so you gotta stay low. Right. Move out to California. I said, I got about 15 year cushion. Maybe these guys will forget about me in New York by that. Right. That was kind of my plan. I'll live happily ever after out in, you know, promised land out here. Right.
1: Sunny Southern California. Yeah.
0: And I realized later that wasn't God's plan. I mean, he wasn't gonna allow me to backdoor This whole thing. Yeah. But uh, that was my plan at the time. And so we moved out to California and um, Camille and I got married. And um, I went off to do my time. I mean, that's how it started. Okay. Um, But, uh, you know, and again, I'm jumping because there's a lot of stuff in between. Oh, sure. But, uh, you know, and all the while she's talking to me about Jesus. and, And like I said, it was really more my feeling for her that you know I was respectful of her I would listen to her uh, she was so committed um, and it started to make some sense to me but Steve I wasn't you know I'm worried about how I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna do with my time what I'm gonna do afterwards what's gonna happen with the money and I'm worried about every other thing you know right. and, and how I'm gonna work it out so it was really me being more courteous to her but she was very persistent she remained in prayer quite a bit her mom was a strong strong Christian and uh, wonderful woman, she's passed away now, but uh, they just had a belief that God was going to use me in a way, and I, I I looked at them like they were okay, you know, All right. how do I get rid of, you know, this issue I got going on now, but uh, um, that's what happened, you know, so we married and I went off to prison, at okay. that time.
1: And you were in prison for a total of? A
0: little over seven years total. Seven. Okay. I did five and then came out for 13 months and then got violated and went back.
1: Okay. Now, um, again, having uh, read a little bit of your story, I know that uh, the government came to you at one point. You heard your name called when you are in the yard, you know, see the warden, and uh, the FBI guys were there to talk to you about doing a film. Is that what it was? Right. Well. Now, was this during the, the first five, or was this after you'd gone? Second. Okay. This was after. Um,
0: I had been violated and I was on my way out of the second sentence. Okay. But in between, what had happened to Steve, again, to make a long story short, when I got violated, when I got out on parole in that 13 months, it was horrible because my plan to keep this quiet backfired. Life magazine wrote a huge story about me quitting the mafia.
1: Mm, okay.
0: It was a dangerous story for me. I was in prison when they wrote it and uh, word was out on the street that uh, I was going to do all these terrible things. I was going to be a witness. And, the government figured if I went that far that they could make me a witness oh. against some major figures back there. And I got out on parole and I was like a fish out of water in L.A. I had the government all over me. I had right. the guys back east all over me. My father couldn't talk to me. You're probably it, looking over your shoulder all the time. All the time. It was terrible. And uh, the French told me, you know, the word's on the street. They're going to come and get me. And, my wife is a wreck, and it, it was it was the worst 13 months of my life. It was worse than being in prison. Yeah. That's how bad it was, trying to... I, I couldn't do anything. You know, they were all over me. They're telling me this is going on, that's going on. I know the life real good, so I didn't have to be told too much. Right. You know, I knew what was going on. And um, long story short, again, the feds were really upset right. with me because I wouldn't testify. They tried to get me to testify against a couple of bosses in Jersey and... Uh, didn't work out. Within a couple of months after that, I was back in prison on a violation. Okay. Well, you knew that if you testified, then
1: your life was done yeah, anyway. I was, I was done. I mean,
0: yeah. it would, I'd have to get into a program or something. Right. I, I didn't want to live like
1: that. Right. And, um,
0: you know, and I was buying into Christianity a little more at that time, I guess, because as you get weaker, you look to turn to somebody. Right. And I was paying a little more close attention to what Camille was
1: telling me now. But you hadn't yet made a decision, is that correct?
0: I did make a decision. I accepted Christ. Okay. But, and I know that at the point of acceptance, salvation is instantaneous. Yes. However, uh, my, my Christian growth had not even begun. It was, again, more self-serving than anything else. Because I believe, you know, it's very difficult to love even God if you don't know Him. You can't right. love somebody you don't know Him. It's, yeah. it's very hard. So... Um, I get thrown back in prison, and uh, they told me they were going to give me 20 years and all this kind of stuff, and I knew it was going to be a real difficult time in prison because of the word on the street, they're not going to let me out in the yard, so I'm going to be in lockdown, they're going to hide me all over the place. So the first night I spent there was an absolute torture, Steve. I figured my wife's going to end up leaving me, it destroyed my marriage, Um, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. It was horrible. I'll never forget the night. And, uh, it was that night that a prison guard put a Bible through the slot in the door. And, uh, I picked it up and I started reading it
1: in the first... Hang on here just a second. Yeah, Yeah. I thought they were all done. They mowed while I was sitting, waiting for you. And I thought all the, uh, noise would be gone. Did they they mow here already? Yeah. Yeah, they did.
0: I opened the Bible and the first verse I came to was Proverbs sixteen seven, which says, "When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him." And I believe uh, it's the first time God spoke to my heart that I listened, mm. because I, I really needed to hear some kind of encouragement that night, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I didn't, I, no matter where I would look myself, it wasn't there. So that one really jumped out, at actually. The Lord at showed that one to you. He, he, it, first night that I listened when he spoke to my heart. He might have done it many times, but I didn't listen. Right. And uh, it just set me on a, on a path to really want to know my Bible and really want to know, based upon the evidence, if this was really the way to salvation through Christ because yes. Cammy had planted a good seed in me. I had had blind faith all my life with respect to my dad and what he led me into, Right. and I wasn't ready to do it again. Um, I, I guess i had become my own man in that regard, and I, I needed to prove. Right. And that's how I read the Bible. Okay. And I had no, uh, you know, I read now that when you read the Bible, you read it in an open mind and an open heart. And I could talk about that now, but back then, that I had no uh, uh, preparation for that. This was just my approach. Right. And um, I was blessed in that uh, I received a four-year prison sentence mm. on the violation, all these charges that they tried to on me they couldn't stick and the judge gave me four out of a possible five on my violation okay and i ended up doing uh 35 months 29 months in the hole okay and during that 29 months is when god firmly planted himself in my heart uh-huh and i was just convinced that you know i was giving my heart to, to christ uh-huh and a lot of bible reading a lot of i had a sony walkman a lot of christian shows great glory i used to listen to all the time and, And um, a lot of Christian books my wife would send me in. So it was really the time that God used to prepare me for whatever he had in mind. Right. And then I got out, and um, when I got out of prison, once again, I had, thinking of coming out, I had no idea what was going to happen. The last six months before I got out, Steve, was an absolute torture because there was a... uh, one of the guys that were made around the same time that I was made was uh, had turned informant and was saying a lot of dangerous things about a lot of guys, including me. And um, I said, man, you know, I'm going to end up coming out of here and being indicted again the day I walk out. Right. And I didn't sleep. I don't think I slept a day because I got a call from a daily news reporter who said that this fellow is saying all of these things. And I said, hey, you know, what could I tell you? Uh, but I didn't sleep, I didn't have a sleep good restful night for six months before mm-hmm. I was coming out. Steve, the day I was ready to come out I almost didn't want to go out the door. Nah. I'm telling you. Yeah, I'll never forget my wife and kids were there and uh, I almost brushed by him. I looked around I said, come on, let's go. Wow. I said, Let's get in the car, let's get out of here. I just wanted to get out. Right. It was so bad. So I right. said, what happened? I never told her. I said, let's just go away from this place. Wow. And um, I was so, I think That was even another thing that I was so thankful to God that I was going out free because I didn't believe I was going to be free. But anyway, backing up, about six months, they finally let me out of the hole after 29 months. I was in Lompoc prison. And uh, when I'm walking the yard, I get a call over the loudspeaker to report to the warden's office. And I get there, and there's two FBI agents there. And I said, oh, man, that was, again, thinking I'm going to get arrested. Yeah, you're thinking the worst. Thinking the worst. And uh, but they told me about this uh, video that the NBA, Major League Baseball are doing. It's an anti-gambling video, and they wanted me to participate because I had a big gambling operation on the street. And I, you know, I used to uh, uh, work with athletes, work with athletes, get them involved in gambling and, and compromise the outcome of the game or whatever. There was, uh, that was that really happened.
1: I mean, they, oh yeah. They would throw games, or they would,
0: you know, let me tell you, when people get desperate in gambling athletes or whatever they do whatever they need to do to make up the money okay and an athlete when they don't have the money but they can affect the outcome of a game that's what they're going to do yeah you know they got to pay now were these all pro athletes or some college? pros and some college okay yeah i mean college even more susceptible but the pros are susceptible back then they didn't make the money they make today right so i mean these guys got in trouble for 25 fifty thousand they were in trouble. Today it's nothing. Yeah, that's pocket change for them pocket nowadays. Changed. But you know, back then, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars salary was big. Two hundred thousand, right. you know. So um, these guys would get in trouble, and uh, hey, you don't have the money. Here's what you do: you know, basketball player is supposed to win by ten. Make sure you don't win by ten. Win by six. Don't cover the spread. You right. We'll place a little money on there. We'll get our money back. You'll be even. You walk away. Right. The problem is, once they do that, you are not going to let them do it only once. Yeah. I know I have an athlete playing with me and I can make money that night on the game, I'm not going to let him do it once. He's right. going to do it until I tell him to stop. And that's the, the theory behind it. But Right. Um, well, not the theory. That's the fact behind it. But, uh, so they asked me to participate in this anti-gambling video. And uh, I didn't want to do it at first, but uh, I decided to do it. And uh, they filmed my portion of it in there. I came home six months later, and the leagues approached me directly and said the video's a winner, uh, and it was. They, they spent about a quarter of a million dollars on it. NBA Productions produced it, and it was great. I mean, I, I was a part of it, but uh, uh, Greg Gumbel was the narrator, and they did all about Pete Rose, and they interviewed a lot of professional players that had been touched by gambling. It was a very good video piece. Right. And they asked me to take it a step further and speak to the athletes directly because it's a serious issue. Again, I was reluctant. I never spoke to anybody publicly other than my guys sitting in a room right. telling them this is what we're going to do. But I said, eh, well, you know, let me give it a try. And uh, that year in 1996, I went with Major League Baseball and visited all 30 Major League Baseball teams during spring training. Wow. And gave a gambling talk. And it was hugely successful. And it was so effective, these guys were more turned on by my background the fact that I told them, basically, the message was, you guys can, you know, excel here on the field. But you get in trouble with gambling. You get into a business of gambling, you step over that line. I said, I'll make you look like a little sissy. I uh-huh. so you're not going to mess with any of my guys like that. And that's why so many of you have had problems. And I used to tell them, you know, you guys sitting here in the room, you know who you are. You know that you, you love to gamble. There's 100 of you in here, 50 of you are gambling right now. Wow. And, you know... The message with no prep, no—I'm just talking. This is my life. I'm just telling. This is the reality of it. And because it rang so true, because that's the way it was,
1: right?
0: We were very effective. Yeah. And we did Major League Baseball. We did the NBA, and the word started to spread that this is this has been a very effective approach. NCAA contacted me in 1998. Said we need you to jump aboard with the colleges throughout the country. And so I've been doing this since 1996, and every year it gets more and more and more. And now from, I've done all Division One athletic uh, uh, departments, you know, all the athletes in Division I schools continue to do that. I do the uh, major leagues every year, do their rookies, mm-hmm. some of their minor leagues. And um, now we're doing high schools because mm-hmm. of this internet and, and uh, poker on television. In high schools, kids are getting affected in huge numbers. So this is, um, this is how I got into speaking, so to speak. And um, it, it wasn't first giving my testimony. From there, my, uh, the church that I used to attend in, uh, in Westwood, uh, the pastor there was a tremendous guy. Dr. Myron Teller asked me one day to address the congregation when I came out. He said, I want you to give four talks. One, I want you to give your testimony how you came to Christ. Right. I want you to talk about the prison system because people here are not aware of what goes on in prison. I want you to talk about the criminal justice system because people here, and this was a very educated congregation, extremely educated, professors, doctors, lawyers. Um, And so this was the first time I gave my testimony and spoke about things in church. And um, it just started from there, from having no idea what I was gonna do when I got out, no plan. It developed into a ministry, and I can honestly say, Steve, I cannot, I cannot credit myself with anything I had no idea. I just kind of followed the steps. Right. People came to me. I, all right, and I was still trying to figure out what I was. All the while, this is happening. I'm trying to say, what am I going to do with my oh, life? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, for years. Yeah. And it wasn't until really three years ago, when I'm doing this all by uh, word of mouth. Never solicited, never did anything, but all of a sudden I'm doing three, four, five dates a month by word of mouth. Wow! And I meet up with Rob Michaels, and he said, uh, "You know, you have a ministry here." I said, Come on, you know, I attach ministry with Michael Francis. It didn't didn't go with me. Right. Even though you know I'm a firm believer at this point. And since meeting with Rob, uh, I believe this was this was God's plan to to have this become a ministry in His service. Right. And that's what it's really developed into in these last couple of years. But, you know, talk about God just plotting a course and you just trying to be loyal and follow. That's what just the last 10 years of my life have been, without a doubt.
1: God looks for a a heart that's willing to obey. For someone, I I was talking to somebody just earlier uh, this last weekend, that uh, God wants a heart that is willing to say yes before you know what the request is going to be. Mm -hmm. Just. Lord, whatever you want. Yes. Well, i got to tell you something, Steve. That's been... I have tried
0: to get involved in other business ventures. I was a pretty good criminal. Right. Okay? Very successful. And all the criminality revolved around business. I had a great head for business. Right. Because I was able to... I was able to use what the street afforded me to excel in the business world, if you understand what that means. I wasn't a, the normal street crime type of guy. I didn't uh-huh. get into a lot of the street stuff. But I was more in business. I had auto dealerships. I was in the gasoline business. I did a lot of things, and I was always pretty good at it. Coming home and being involved in other business ventures, I couldn't do anything right. Really? I'm telling you and I didn't succeed in anything and I'm saying either I was just a good criminal right I'm not a very smart legitimate guy right or the other thing is that the Lord wasn't going to let me succeed in anything that distracted me from where I'm supposed to be uh-huh. and I like to think that that's a little better, <laughs> that's a little better. but uh, now I look at anything else as a distraction because I'm into this full time and you know I'm writing uh, two other books right now, and uh, I'm very, very excited, uh, Steve, really excited that after years of doing this, I think God has, through my brother-in-law, my wife's younger brother, has defined my ministry, what it's all about, and we're going to really have an outreach to men and women and children in that we've defined my ministry, what I do as made man ministry, okay. where I was a made man. In the in the Colombo family, and wanted to emulate guys that I thought were man's men, you know, men of, among men. Right. When I really realize now that I want to be a made man in the image of Jesus, Amen. And that He's really the only man's man. When you look at Jesus of Nazareth, forget for a moment that He was God. Yeah. Okay. okay take His divinity away. Okay. And just look at His public life in three years on on the world and men have had such a powerful influence on me. When I look at Jesus, and this is what, what I read during my time in prison, I was just blown away. That things that were so important to me, you know, um, uh, were, were he, he just excelled as a man in every way. I mean, the wisdom, the love, the humility that he showed, the absolute strength, his ability to keep his mouth shut when everybody was throwing insults out of him, didn't defend himself, had a purpose, it, I was so turned on by Jesus the man because men were so important to me in my life. And I said, this is what a man is really all about. And it kind of changed my whole way of thinking. You don't have to have that outward tough guy appearance. You don't have to wear your status on your sleeve and all of that. And so the, the ministry now is emulating Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth, and how that can make you a better husband, a better person in your community, a better person in business, uh, a stronger person in every way. And that would affect, obviously, the life of your wife and children and the people around you. So sure. we're kind of, and this was something that was born in the last three weeks. My brother in law heard me speak at Spirit West Coast, uh-huh. and he said, Michael, your ministry should be the Made Man ministry, made in the image of Christ. So I didn't even think of that
1: one. Yeah. But, um, well, now, thinking back on your talk now, you talked about how Jesus is your boss now. And he, I can see how the, the germ of that right yes. there. Yes. He, he absolutely
0: picked up on that, and he said, you know, we were just talking, he said, you know, because he's involved in the church, and he said, this can be a tremendous outreach to men, Michael, because they would be so turned on by being part of something like that. And I, I really believe that over the past couple of weeks, God has spoken to me and said, this is it. Mm. Stick with it. And when I was at Alive, I got such a tremendous response from the men that I started talking about this. Right. And uh, And Rob Michaels really, really picked up on it. So I believe that you know, we're going to try to pursue this and put this together as a, a, a defining part of my ministry. This right. is what it's all about. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's and I said, it took my little brother-in-law. I mean, he's 20-something years old, but he's you know he's a good man of God and uh, he's, he comes up with great ideas. But he said, Mike, it just inspired me that night when you were talking. And what happened is, I went to his church that weekend because my his brother is the pastor who was away. He asked me to come and fill in for him. Uh uh-huh. And um, so, I spoke that weekend, and he said he didn't mention it to me the night of Spirit West. He mentioned it to me afterwards because he said it, it's definite. God has spoken to my heart, uh-huh. and this is where your ministry needs to go And, yeah. and uh, it was great wow that's awesome so i 'm real excited about it. It really has defined what it 's all about, and you know and and one thing I have the utmost um, admiration for Billy Graham Mm, yes, because he's been, in you know, because of New York, he's been in front of us a lot lately it's just that he's been so consistent Absolutely. 50 years with the gospel message. Yep. And uh, for me not because of Billy Graham but just because of my experience in prison it's always been about the gospel and about Jesus. Yeah. And I guess because of my Catholic upbringing with uh, the rules and regulations and this and that and, you know, the ritual I, I think that that ...caused me to be more turned on by the simplicity of Jesus' message. And the fact that it was quite apparent through the gospel that he wasn't a rule and regulation guy. That's right. He wasn't a religious guy. That's right. And that he just broke it down so simply. Mm-hmm. And that was always so uh, admirable to me. And, and I was always just turned on by Jesus himself. Uh-huh. And, and I think he focused me in that direction right away. Or right. Either that or because, again... I, you know, Steve, so many things in my past life have, been a, have had such a powerful bearing on where I am today in my Christian walk, if you can understand the, you know, the, the contrast. But so many things have, have played a role. in the fact that I was so into men and into being a man and into emulating a man's man, I've heard that term so many times. you, know, right. you got to be a man's man. Right. That when I finally recognized the one real man's man, in contrast to the men that I admired all my life, it's just like, wow, mm-hmm. Jesus is the guy. You yeah. know, he he blew me away. And uh, if we pattern our life on him, obviously we can never measure up,
1: but if we pattern our life on him, you can't go wrong. Absolutely. We can't miss. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're, you're talking about, you know, uh, your life being really centered on, on men in the beginning. How did it come to be that Cammy had such a huge influence on your life? Uh, the concept that I have of guys in the life is that women are more like property, chattel, that they don't matter that much in terms of influencing a man. How do you suppose Cammy came into having such a great influence
0: on you? Well, you're exactly right. This is the amazing thing there, that not only property but had no influence on our life on our business life whatsoever they were second-class citizens don't talk to me about my life you remember the godfather the last scene the godfather one when kate is asking him about you know did you do this to your brother-in-law right don't ask me about my business Right. don't ask me and finally he blows up and says all right i'll let you do it one time and then he lies to her right that was kind of the way we treated women so you
1: know? that was pretty pretty accurate
0: absolutely i mean and to me, the fact that God used this young girl to have such a strong influence for me, there's no question that it was a God thing. Right. Because, Steve, quite honestly, I mean, I, you know, I, I knew a lot of women in my day. Never, ever, could affect me in any way the way my wife did. But none of them ever spoke to me about Jesus. Yeah. So she was a plant. That's <laughs> no question. She was the, she was God's informant. I mean, or undercover person. And, there you uh, go. And I, I can't explain it other than that, Than this God used. Right. Maybe. And I think, you know, it was a lesson, too, maybe to, to pull me away from my, my dad and that influence. Okay. I really do. And um, But, see, it's wonderful for me because it's a lesson for women out there that how strong an influence they can be on their man. And yes. how powerful they can be. And the fact that she was in prayer all the time. I mean, she wasn't doing this alone. She had, God had her back. Right. And, uh... You know, I tell the women my message to women is very powerful. I don't care what this guy thinks he is, or how strong he thinks he is, or how lost you may think he is. You are very powerful. Right. You stick with it. You keep it in prayer, and you you have more power over this guy than you might believe. when God's in your corner,
1: and the women love to hear that. Sure. You know. Well, again, yeah, they can they can look at, at their husband, or their boyfriend, or whatever, and say well, at least he's not a mafia boss. <laughs> oh,
0: I get a lot of left-handed compliments uh, Man, if God can change you, anybody can be changed. I get that all the time. I said, well, you're right. Yeah. So, uh, but it's, uh, it's amazing, you know, the fact that he, he did use her. And, uh, you know, and then I fell into that trap, which uh, when, when I first met her, it was all about her. She was the most important thing in my life. And I remember my mother-in-law once telling me, don't put her above God. And I said, come on. You know, she's my wife. She's here. You know, God can handle himself. i got to protect her. Right. And I think that the three years that I spent away, and and Cammy even used to tell me that. It's God first, then me. And I said, no, you're first. God can handle himself. Right. To, that wise guy thought. Yeah. And uh, I think that, that when I had the fear of her maybe leaving because of that sentence, and then understanding that, no, wait a minute, god is first and now i understand as much as i love my wife it's god first in my life and he's my focus and and you look back and you know steve i think all of us have these lessons the the thing is do we want to open our heart and recognize them and i think i try to get that across to people i'm not more blessed than that god has given me a vision right you know we all have them do we want to recognize it if we're focused on God and centered on God, then you look back and you see these things as God's teaching for us, God's talking to us and Him coming into our heart. Yeah. So it's a question of knowing Him and recognizing it. Uh, i only to leave this off for my kids. But... No, absolutely. Keep it on. Your kids are very important. But um, but it, it is amazing, you know, that, that, that He used her.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you something else, okay? One of the things that you hear non-Christians Talk about a lot when thinking about the grace of God. They say something like, uh, "I'm a pretty good guy," you know. I've never been a mafia boss, but here this guy comes along and he, quote unquote, confesses Jesus and he's forgiven. What's up with that? What's fair about that? I never did anything bad and. What do you say to somebody like that?
0: Well, what I tell people, is, you know, and I, and I do this, again, I don't know if I did it that night because I was out of it, but uh, I try to explain to people when I tell them about my life, I say, listen, that life was very serious and, and is very violent at times, and if you're part of the life, you're part of the violence. I say, now I don't want to be offensive to anybody because some of you may be sitting there and say, hey, this guy, this guy is saying this, and now he has the nerve to come here and say he's forgiven. All I ever did was steal a piece of candy in my life. Right. you know there's, where's the equality and I try to tell them this is why you've got to love God so much because the ground at the foot of the cross is level sin is sin he's reaching out to everybody and the fact that he can turn my heart and make me recognize that the things that I did were wrong you know should not be offensive to you the thief on the cross okay nothing is in the Bible by accident that's right God made it very clear that in the last millisecond of your life if you you ask for forgiveness he doesn't you say, well, wait a minute. What about this and this and then this? You're forgiven. So this is this is honoring a merciful God. It's not looking at a bad Michael and saying, how dare God do this. It's right. honoring a merciful God that He is merciful and great. And I think people do get that. They they really do. Because I don't say it in a way that, hey, I'm boasting. I did all these terrible things and now, haha, I'm forgiven. Right. It's like it's like these are the things that you feel blessed about every day. That God is like that because a lot of people don't feel they're worthy uh steve you know i've had guys come to me that that were in the military and said they did so many things in the military and you know god is never going to forgive them for that and they have a very very hard time reconciling that and dealing with that and i tell them listen i understand i can relate you might have been justified in what you did and i wasn't right i said but i am i said i'm not being pompous when I say this, I said, but over a period of time and understanding, God has really put into my heart the meaning of grace and the meaning of forgiveness, and you need to understand that. And uh, and people accept that very well. I- I've been so blessed, uh, Steve, over these past ten years. I've never been challenged in that regard. Really? Ne- no, i never have. Um, wow. In that, you know, who are you to say you're forgiven? Yeah. Now I don't know if people are thinking that and haven't said it. Um, I did, I shouldn't say that, I did one time get an email, this was amazing to me, from a woman that heard me, and it turned out to be a beautiful email, I was really worried about where it was going, because she said, as she was sitting in her seat, she was looking at me, and burning inside, because her brother was going to be a witness against some mob guys, and he was killed, Oh! Wow. And it was a very long email. By the end of the email, she was thanking me because she said, As I heard you speak, God has put it in my heart to forgive. Oh, wow. And um, that was the first, like, real challenge that I had. And, and she said, I think I, I get it now, and I understand, and, and there has to be forgiveness, and I can let this go. Because it was something she was holding for 20 years. Wow. So um, wow, so
1: that, that's a wonderful thing, then, that, that, that she was able to, to get... Yes. Get to that point.
0: Yes, and yeah. you can tell. I mean, she was extremely emotional, even in the. uh She relayed the whole thing. As I was watching you, I was burning inside and listening. And she said, "But the Holy Spirit touched my heart mm. by the end of your talk, and uh, I can let this go now." Wow. So there are people who could say, you know, how can you say you're forgiven you Yeah. Done
1: these things. Well, I don't know if you listen to uh, local. Uh, talk radio but there's a there's a host on in the morning and that that's that's one of his biggest things with with the whole jesus and god thing he's a non-christian and so i know that the non-christians often you know bring that up you Mm -hmm. know because they they just don't get the grace thing Uh, until you've experienced it it's hard to understand it
0: well you know and the other thing to that is it's very hard Like my father, it's amazing because when I ask my dad now, when I challenge him, Dad, you going to heaven? He's like, well, I'm going to heaven because in my life I did more good than bad. Oh, he's not there yet. Yeah, and, uh, well, that was a while ago. I've been working on him since then. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand the meaning of grace and just that it's a reflection of an almighty, merciful God that, you know, I try to tell them, you know, you you people want to look at God as this you know taskmaster up there you know you find well how could little kids you know be killed and how could people suffer but you don't look at the other side of it you know that why aren't you saying well how come god can f- you get mad that he can forgive everybody right when someone else could suffer and so that takes some explanation obviously to them and making them understand and i try to be as knowledgeable as i can so i can explain that right like one time i said listen i um i said do yourself a favor. I said, go to prison. I said, for those of you that don't understand the concept of hell, I said, remember, Jesus talks a lot more about hell in the Bible than he does about heaven. That's right. I said, if you don't understand the concept of hell, go lock yourself in a prison cell on death row for two days. Maybe, probably two hours would be enough. Yeah. Let's say two days. And then you'll understand why it's a place you don't want to go. And... I once made a statement, I said, listen, Osama bin Laden is the closest thing to a devil out here. But you know what? From what I know of hell and from my experience in lockdown, I wouldn't want to see the worst person in the world suffer eternally in hell. I would hope that God can touch his heart to, to forgive him, so that he can ask for forgiveness. As I really, really honestly mean that, because the concept of hell something stuck into me so deeply because that I spent so much time in that, Steve, I couldn't, if, if I had to be 24 7 in lockdown for the rest of my life like some of these guys, I would ask God to put me to sleep and take me. Really? Yeah. And that's only jail. And when you know what hell is all about, I mean, eternal lockdown, um, I just can't see anybody having anything. Right. I can't. Because, you know, even when, you know, and this is hard, because even when people die at terrible death at the hands of somebody else if they're christian they're going to heaven that's right and when we get there you know we're gonna, what took you so long to bring me here
1: yeah you know right. as, as
0: horrible as we think it is here but you know i feel blessed that god has allowed me to experience that and realize that yeah so
1: we serve a wonderful
0: god Ooh. faithful god we really do we really do and grace has made it so you know, and people have a problem with that. Is let me ask you, how many, how many sins did you commit at the time Jesus died? died on the cross. Mm. Huh? Not right. That's why it doesn't matter what you did today or tomorrow. It's yeah. It's forgiven. Exactly. You know, but hey, we do what we do, and we hope that we can communicate effectively, and then trust God that He'll take the rest. Of the
1: yeah. Way. Well, Michael, I thank you so much <laughs> for thank your you. time. This has My been pleasure. a great pleasure. Well, it's been nearly two years since Michael and I sat down at that little bistro in Santa Monica, but I'd like to thank him again for giving of his time on that nice June morning, and I hope you enjoy listening in. If you would like to read more about Michael Franzi's story, you can order his book, Blood Covenant, from his website at MichaelFrances.com, And of course, I'll have a link on the show notes page. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank a few people who have recently written reviews of the show over at iTunes. Cool B, One Who Listens, Daniel Johnson Jr., and Scott Hamilton have all written reviews over there at iTunes. And uh, if you'd like to do that, I'd appreciate it. And now, in the interest of your time, I'm going to bring this show to a close. On next week's show, we'll be back to some very cool, brand new content that I know you're going to enjoy. So remember, Jesus said, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, or your station in life. Jesus asks you this. Who do you say that I am? LifeSpring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life today. Until next time, I'm Steve Webb. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed Michael's story. God bless you. This has been an In Touch Productions podcast. The
0: best and the brightest served up daily by the sharpest minds in content delivery, Pod Show, and Limelight.